Welcome to the Deep Coloration Podcast. Today we have Hinton Shah uh, from Nira in the podcast, who is a serial entrepreneur, has worked on many great companies, and who has great views on remote work. Overall, we've connected a while back, and I'm very happy to have him on today. Happy to be here. Awesome. Do you want to tell us more about your your background, how you ended up with uh, Nira, and what else you've done so far? Yeah. So I've built uh, three different companies that reach uh, some scale. One was Crazy Egg, which we launched back in 2005. It created a heat map for where people are clicking on a page. Today, my wife runs it. It's a team of less than 20 people, and it's self-funded, uh, and it's been around that long. And it's a mostly self-service product where people can just sign up and use it online. Uh, we were one of the first companies to build these heat maps. Uh, we, you could say we pioneered that category. And then um, I started building a company called Kissmetrics back in 2008, 2009. That one also reached some level of success. There's lots of ups and downs. We actually raised money for that business. But one of the things that I end up doing accidentally, I think, but now I'm becoming more conscious of it, is finding opportunities where it's, they're new, different, and right in terms of the products uh, in the market. And so with my new one, Nira, we basically have figured out that this idea of having visibility as into who has access to documents and then being able to manage them is a really big, big problem and it isn't solved yet. And so we built an interface that lets you see, even if you have millions and millions of documents in your Google workspace, you can find all the risks. You can even drill down to an individual document, groups of documents really fast. And these IT people, compliance people, security people, even legal teams have a lot of trouble when they need to manage access because of some incident or because they're trying to make sure they're cleaning up things because they're about to go public. Uh, or they're just in general trying to make sure that the risk of information leaking is greatly reduced. So that's my new company, Nira. And uh, we just kind of uh, rebranded the company uh, on uh, June 1st, so a few weeks ago now, and are just kind of going after kind of this problem and customers for solving this problem. Before that, we had built an enterprise search tool, which we pivoted from to this once we realized that IT teams should be our customers first before we start pursuing other opportunities. That's fascinating. You know, we just went through our compliance certification, like the first one that we did, and these topics came up as well. And I mean, it's interesting that, you know, this is the Deep Collaboration Podcast. We have, we use Notion a lot. We use Figma a lot. We use Google Docs up and down the, the ladder. And it's true that all these, most of the solutions by default make documents public, right? If you know, if you have the link, the same with CoScreen. If you have a link to a CoScreen, you can join it. And that's kind of the default, same with Zoom. And now increasingly that is an issue because sometimes, you know, that these are very conf confidential resources. And at least right now, I have very limited oversight on what exactly is being shared and within our own company. Like our very, you know, far out reaching UX concept says out, shared freely out there because Figma has the default setting of sharing everything. So I hope you go for other uh, document providers very soon. Absolutely. Yeah. We're working as hard as we can and realistically just hiring as fast as we can to service all these needs that we're seeing uh, across tools. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun and definitely accelerated in the last few months. Awesome. Have you seen it becoming harder to hire? Because, I mean, that seems to be a huge, you know, the ecosystem hasn't slowed down, unlike some folks expected when the pandemic became truly global. Like, Yeah, I mean, I think hiring is always challenging. Um, it always has been. There are times in tech where it's not as challenging and people try to predict that, you know, things are going to kind of change one either one way or another. It gets harder, it gets easier. I think we're in a perpetual place now where like hiring is going to be as challenging, if not more challenging than it is right now. 
uh, for the foreseeable future. So that's kind of that's kind of my personal take on it. And we're, we're doing a ton of things on our end in our company to make sure that you know we're we're set up for success on the hiring side. And it is a lot more effort than ever before. So I would say I wouldn't say it's harder because I've had times when it was just as hard. I would just say that it's every time that it's hard or it feels hard, it's just a little different than the last time it felt hard. And it's progressively getting more challenging to find the right candidates, incentivize them properly, and make sure that they stay uh, and, and do their best work. Um, I truly believe that you know people aren't doing their best work in the company or even personally, uh, especially at a smaller company. So pre-IPO companies is what I consider a startup at this point. They should get another job and find a place in an environment because there's plenty of environments out there where you can do your best work. Uh, so yeah, that's how I think about it. Interesting. But isn't isn't that ironic? I mean, I don't know how if you if you build a distributed company like in our case, we are remote. That means we have people in Virginia and in New York City and in Berlin also. So you could, you might think the talent pool is much bigger than if you would have built a company five years ago, where it would have been expected for us to build the company where I am in Menlo Park, you know, where my co-founder is in the Bay Area. That has changed. And in theory, the talent pool has gotten you know like 100x. I've been working on the internet for 18 years. The majority of the time, pretty much the whole time, is uh, remote. I don't worry myself with these problems. What, what I focus on is basically hiring globally, number one. As many countries as possible. There are some countries that are just off limits. That's fine. We don't hire in those countries. Number two, creating a very deliberate process for recruiting people. That goes everything from the job postings all the way to our a planning exercise that we do for all the engineers. And I'm specifically focused on engineering right now in terms of the conversation, because uh, I think that's the most challenging piece uh, as far as everyone I talk to. And so we just have a deliberate process that basically assesses someone's ability to work in the environment we've created. And once we kind of established that process, we did some tests to see if like, if there were better ways. And for us, there are no better ways that we've been able to discover or find or iterate besides basically making engineers do a planning exercise. And that exercise is designed around the kind of planning they do when they join the team. And we really do believe in, you know, measure twice, cut once. And so our whole engineering system and, and workflow and processes are designed around people being able to accurately estimate when something that they're doing is going to be completed. And so our environment is very planful and is very focused on accurate estimates. We don't pad. We don't use story points. We don't do any of that. We actually look to plan out the projects to a level of granularity so that our team and the people working on it can be 90% confident about the dates that they set. And if they're not 90% or greater confident, then they have to go back to the drawing board and figure out what parts are you know, unclear to them and then go basically figure out how to make those clear. And then only does work start. So we have collaborative ways to do that. We have ways that individuals do that. And the way that we kind of recruit has everything to do with assessing a candidate's ability to work in that environment. That's fascinating. That means you have a huge head start compared to many companies that suddenly found themselves to be distributed like you were over a long time. So we, we, we don't, we, we've never had a choice. You know, I'm not one of those zealots or whatever you want to call it. That's like, hey, remote work is so awesome. And like, you know, everyone should do it, although everyone's doing it or has to have had to have done it. And so the future is looking very interesting. I think we definitely had a much lighter competition when it came to the talent pool that all of a sudden overnight basically completely flipped upside down. And so uh, we had to 
double down on what I described to you in order to make sure that we're able to find people who can work in the environment we've created successfully. And more importantly, they're opting into it. And that's what I see with these recruiting processes, especially with remote, where people are taking their old approach and, you know, trying to do the multiple interviews and group interviews and all these other things. And really, all you're trying to do is assess somebody's ability to work in the environment that you've created. And that's the main thing. And then the culture comes layered on for us as to, oh, is this is this person culture fit or not? That's also the funny thing about a remote environment where culture fit is very different. It's not something where, where you can go walk in an office and understand the culture right away. So you have to have handbooks and an ability to basically design a company, organizational design, workflow, processes, how shit gets done. It's just very different in a remote environment if you want to keep everybody engaged, happy, and, and what I really aspire to for everyone on the team doing their best work. And you just mentioned planning and, and what you said earlier. Is planning the key thing? I mean, is planning for you a key... On engineering? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Why is planning a good measure of engineering excellence? Like if someone is a good engineer in terms of writing code or solving the problem? I, 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 I didn't say it's a measure of engineering excellence. Okay, got it. Okay, so, it's so, not like so, so that, 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 that wouldn't be accurate. I wouldn't call it that. I'm not, on our teams, we don't care about engineering excellence. That's not very important to us. What's important to us is that someone who's coming into the role is eyes wide open in how we do things. And more importantly than even that, they've had a way to be exposed to it. So this planning exercise is literally, we give this planning exercise to all viable candidates in our mind. So viable meaning like, you know, they run through a first screen. They don't have to talk to us. We just look at their resume, whatever they filled out whatever we can find and say, oh, this person looks like a great candidate for us, right? Because not every candidate that applies to a job is a great candidate for the company. And that's our job to assess that, right? Uh, we do our best to send a nice note if they're not a great candidate for us and try to explain why. And then we go send for all the candidates that make sense. We send them the planning exercise. We say, here's a link. It's a GitHub gist. So it's kind of described out there. And you pick one of two planning projects. It's either a link shortener or a to-do list app right? And all we ask for with some detail, there's instructions. And there's even things like 40-hour work week, two 30-minute meetings every week. And hey, there's a couple holidays in between, right? That might come up during this project. And so we give them some of those bullets so that we're just very clear about like a simulated planning exercise based on the environment that you find yourself in in real life. And so then Someone makes their plan, it's usually a Google Doc or something, and then they uh, submit it. Uh, and then our head of engineering gets on a call with them for 90 minutes. And he's basically scored the plan before he gets on the call. Then as he's talking to them, asking them questions, seeing if they found some of the landmines in our planning exercise, seeing how they think about some of these things, you know, he gets off the call after that, right? And then he rescores, sees if the score gets updated. So we have score number one, which is before he talked to them. We have score number two after he talked to them. And he's assessing them on all the things you'd expect someone who is an engineering manager, engineering leader to assess them on. And in that process, he's making a call on whether they move forward with our process or not. We've heard from engineers that this is an extremely refreshing approach. And it's better than any of the coding challenges that focus on engineering excellence or whatever you want to call it. And instead, we're just like, look, we don't really care about your skills and your abilities as an engineer. We care about your skills and abilities to plan out your time when you're writing code. 
And so we're willing to invest in our engineers not writing code 100% of the time as a result, right? And we're willing to invest in creating an environment where everyone feels like they're doing their best work. We don't believe you can do your best work if you say, I'm going to get it done on Monday next week and it doesn't show up till Wednesday. That's not your best work. Like, that's just our opinion. Someone else might think that's great, right? And, and this doesn't mean like things don't happen, you know, and you need to adjust and we're really strict. What it means is you were thoughtful before you wrote code. You thought about it. You did technical research. You didn't just go in and start writing the code and all of a sudden find all these gotchas, right? You actually did your homework. And I think when it comes to engineering, in, in order to deal with things like tech debt and spaghetti code and all these things that end up happening, even when you don't want them to happen, even when you're vigilant, if you're planning, you're actually being more vigilant than most companies that are out there. And you're, you're going to be in that environment when you work with us. So I think we put a lot of emphasis on culture. We put a lot of emphasis on like excellence, engineering excellence, like in, in society in general, but in tech companies, we don't do that. We just want someone who can literally say, I'm going to get it done on this date. And they get it done on that date, not by working 24 hours a day, not by pulling all-nighters, but just by having great planning. That's it. Right. And we just want to teach people that. And we don't care how good or bad of an engineer you are. We think that's a core skill that all engineers should have. And we know for a fact that that's not a core skill all engineers have or think they should have. So that's the problem. And that's our solution to it. Interesting. Have you made this available like publicly, like the, the, the questions? I've talked about it in a few different podcasts, but we haven't had the, I mean, we're hiring like crazy right now. We're trying to double or triple our engineering team and like, I can talk about it right now because I have the time, but like our head of engineering is heads down working extremely hard at building out our engineering team and dealing with these things and iterating the process. We've even found ways to get like hundreds and hundreds of candidates every month because of the effort that he's put into some of the systems we've been creating without having recruiters or folks like that. Not that there's anything wrong with recruiters. I think recru recruiters are not necessarily used to our process. And so that's that it's been a challenge for us to hire recruiters as well. So we're basically just building these processes internally now and creating recruiters, so to speak, internally. Maybe that's another startup idea, you know, just in case Nero doesn't work out. Maybe that's that's the next big thing, you know, recruiting, like the perfect engineering recruiting process or so. I, I think you have to really have an environment that maps to this kind of process. And if you don't have that environment, which most companies don't, then it will, it'll, you'll fail. Like these people will fail in your company, right? If they got through, but in our company, they're like, They're not just succeeding, they're like thriving in the environment that we've created. Yeah. And I think you mentioned this, like the constraint was 40 hour work week and two 30 minute meetings. Is that the real life of an, of an engineer at, at Nero? We get as close to that as possible. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't really count the hours somebody works. We definitely don't count that. So that's not like a big deal. But for a planning exercise, it's important to account for that. And there's also things like we, we give at least 20% of time for maintenance of things or bugs and things that come up. So when our head of engineering is actually planning, he's counting everyone at about 32 hours a week when he really needs to do it. But like, we really believe in the planning. We really believe in people knowing how many hours or minutes or 15 minute blocks or whatever the exercise is that it's going to take to build something out. Um, we just believe in those things. And so, uh, you know, that that's kind of the way we think about hiring and recruiting and managing the team. We also really believe in less meetings, not more meetings. So the, the two 30-minute meetings is a good example of how we think about meetings. That means the fewer the better. And, and how do you, that means also 
Pair programming is nothing you use. Is it more async working? Majority of the work we do is async. If we start seeing a lot of synchronous work happening, it means something's broken at the new scale that we reach, and we, we do our best to push back to async and, and re rebuild systems or retune things. A lot of times as a company scales, async becomes sync in a remote company. And this is like a in the weeds. If you haven't seen it, you're not going to understand how this works. But like as more people come on, they start pinging other people and they start pinging other people for help, which is all great. It's fine and dandy. Like there's no like it's a natural human thing, right, to ask for help. Um, but what happens is then it turns into a sync culture really quickly. And that can happen at any stage at any scale, especially as you like double the engineering team and double it again, et cetera. And so we do our best to like be aware of sync time and make sure that as much as we can, we iterate our processes so that whatever's broken or not working, or if someone just, you know, needs some guidance on like how to approach these things, we're giving them the guidance they need so that we can maintain our culture of async as much as possible. Got it. And that means you don't have any restrictions with regards to time zone. You can hire people around the world because it's mostly async. That's right. It makes makes the flexibility of time zones a lot a lot different than in environments where time zone is like the big consideration. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And I, th I think we touched upon this uh, by discussion discussing your hiring process. But I think it was when we talked it, it, we, just for the for the viewers and listeners. We I think we connected maybe one or two months before the pandemic in January two thousand twenty. Sounds about right. Right, and I think we talked about remote when it was a hot thing for a few VCs some hip companies, but it wasn't mainstream, I would say. And I think you had strong views on that. Some This might be misguided, like this this hoopla around around that. And of course, things happen that no one of us could foresee and many folks struggle with remote work. Some like it, and, you know, many employees, at least employers, not so much. So it's, it's pretty messy, which is, you know, great for startups like us who build a remote collaboration tool and that thing can, makes productive, can, can make pro uh, teams more productive. But th there's something there. Like, what was your view at the time? Has it changed over the last uh, one and a half years? As you've been there, right? You, you were never, you worked always the same way, as I understand it. I guess for me, my views on remote work are, are pretty consistent with a lot of the stuff I already shared in terms of it being not something I wish upon people, but like now everyone's kind of had to deal with it. One of the reasons is like, it's so much easier to just like walk over to somebody and talk to them. It just is like, we just, human beings, we like that. It's, it's like what we're used to. It's like, Most people went to school, right? And like, that's how they learned, right? They ask questions, they talk to their teachers. Like, this is just how we used to do things, how we're used to doing things. A lot of people are dealing with things like Zoom fatigue because they feel the need to keep the video on, right? And, and a whole bunch of those kind of things. So like, yeah, my, my take is it's, it's got advantages that are very clear, that are about you can hire from anywhere, You don't need to centralize your location, give employees and team members more flexibility into their work life when they work, as long as they obviously, you know, get their stuff done and are aligned with the company and all that. But ultimately, like, it's hard. It's legitimately hard to have a highly efficient remote team and get as much done, if not more, than what you would get done in an office, because that self-discipline employees need to have or team members need to have that idea of not feeling lonely because you can't just go hang out with people right for coffee or for lunch uh you're not seeing human beings you're seeing screens a lot more we already see screens because we were in tech right and that's like majority of our jobs so you know i can come up with all the reasons that like 
no company should go remote just as easily as I can come up with all the reasons a company should go remote. So to me, like, I think there's just an inevitability that we're going to have hybrid workplaces. We're going to have remote teams. And that's how people want to do things. They want the flexibility that remote work, working from home, all that comes with. It's unfortunate that everyone got exposed to remote work during a pandemic when it wasn't normal remote work. And like you had everyone working from home, you had kids at home, you had like all of these things that aren't normal for remote work. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and like this last whatever year and a half, it's not normal. It's just not normal. So we shouldn't make decisions about remote work based on an abnormal experience. We should make decisions about remote work based on normal experiences and how normal remote work should be or was or is. But I think one consideration is companies are just going to go hybrid and we're going to see, I think hybrid companies are even, even much harder uh, than companies that deliberately are all in the office or all remote. That being said, the second you get a second office, you're already a hybrid company. So that that's something a lot of companies have learned the hard way. And there's a lot of cues that companies that are going hybrid can probably take from the companies that have multiple offices. Like you, you can't imagine how many times I've stepped into an office and seen like an office where there's other offices too in other locations like California and Boston, for example, and seeing the camera with the big screen always on taking a peek at the other side. It's like a portal into like the other side, like some random world, some other random office that you barely go know about or go see. People keep walking by. Some of them come and say hi if they see someone there, right? It's like we're finding all these solutions that I don't know if they're adequate or inadequate. I don't, I don't have much of an opinion there because I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, right? I wouldn't have multiple offices and have to solve problems like that. We'd probably still keep a highly async culture if we ever got an office or a set of offices, which I'm not ruling out. I'm not one of those people that would rule out things like that if it's best for the business. And so that's my long-winded way of saying like, yeah, we everything that we experienced during the pandemic and now where we're at has caused people to think about this in a way that is very different than I've been thinking about it as a like, you know, basically lifelong remote worker. That that's just where we're at. Everybody has to think about this in a way that they never did before. And that's very traumatic, frankly. So it's hard. No, I agree. And I think you can see there are studies which show like burnout and so on hasn't has really improved. Like folks work more, longer hours, even though they have no commute anymore, uh, many of them suffer, especially certain folks like who are very extroverted to benefit from personal connections. They really struggle in the in the way remote was was set up in the in the pandemic. And we'll see what's gonna happen. I mean, I agree with you, like you know, hybrid meetings are the worst. Whenever you have like eight people in a room and two people remote, the remote people just don't have I mean, they're just typically disregarded, at least that's my experience. So getting that right is extremely, extremely hard. And again, we think it's an opportunity for our product, but it's it's not easy, that's for sure. Do you think the workflows that you found to work for your companies should be the gold standard, should be the one that every company works like, or is it just that that work, something that works for you and for a subset of, of companies? I don't know. I, I talk to a lot of people about remote. These days, You know, because of lack of time on my end to write about this or tweet about it or share a lot of context, I point them to GitLab and all the wonderful content. Like you, you want one place, go to GitLab and just look at everything, all the wonderful things that they've started and created. In fact, like our employee handbook is inspired by GitLab's employee handbook. And we use that as a starting point to do ours. And like, 
you know, I'm an advisor to Automatic. I'm an advisor to Buffer. We use a lot of their stuff as starting points previously, but I think GitLab has done a great job of putting all that stuff out there and making it much easier for all of us to like figure this stuff out. So super impressed with that. Um, and and that that's kind of the way I, 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 the way I think about it is I don't think there is a right way. I mean, even the folks at Basecamp outside of their little issue or big issue, I would say big issue, not little issue that they recently had, they have great literature on this. And I call it literature because they're very philosophical. So it's great literature. In practice, it breaks. And then you got to fix it. And so if you just stamp out someone else's process, even GitLab's, and then try to run it at your company, I think you're doing the wrong thing. So that's why I think it's tough for me to say, hey, our way works for anybody. I would say our way works for us. Buffer's way works for Buffer. Automatic's way works for Automatic. Upwork's way works for Upwork. GitLab's way works for GitLab. Zapier's way works for Zapier. Are there patterns? Yeah. Well, I'll give you one example of not a hot topic, but one that like a lot of the folks I mentioned would disagree with me on. And I haven't talked to them about it, so I don't know, but I'm pretty sure based on what I see. I don't believe in offsites. I don't believe in big company gatherings in person. There's a bunch of things I've seen when companies do that that I wouldn't want at my company. Right? Like for example, a lot of people a lot of people save work for those offsites and those retreats or, you know, those company meetings that are all hands meetings. I've even been to some, so it's not a knock on at all by any means on any company that does that. By more power to them. If that stuff works for them and they're okay with the problems it creates. I think the lack of awareness of the problems things like that create are, are very interesting because the way I look at it is the main reason I'm excited about remote work, the main reason that I spend a lot of time focusing on this internally is simply because I think that when you're in school, you're told when to show up, when to go to each class, when to eat lunch, when to go to the playground, and when to leave. When you're in an office, it's exactly the same. When you're in a remote environment, it's exactly the opposite. But yet, we're asking people to go to a once a year retreat or a once a year offsite or a month or two times a year or whatever it is and trying to get everyone together when like in a way that's the antithesis of remote work and distributed work and having the freedom to do what you want from where you want, how you want, as long as you're getting your stuff done. Right. And again, that takes a lot of self-discipline, a lot of self-directed sort of mindset that not everybody's ready for, especially because so many people have been working in an office for so long. So the thing I'm most excited about, not the fact that like, oh, the pandemic happened because it's a terrible thing. It's a pandemic. I mean, there's there's no argument about that, but it's exposed everyone to this idea that we can all have freedom. We can all have more self-direction. And the reason I say that is even companies that have strict Zoom meeting rules and availability and your green light and Slack on and all that, that's all good. But even they've had to learn to loosen up. So I, I, I would say that we should be treating people like adults. And when we're in an office, it's not typically what happens. Hybrid workplaces are getting closer, but distributed and remote work is treating everyone like an adult. A pure play, you're an adult, you manage your time. And that's why like things like the planning exercise and some of the other processes that we have internally for product, our product team and just engineering team and things like that, they're designed around people having ultimate freedom of their time as much as you can you can have while you're working at a company. Yeah, 
leading, leading towards looking to the future. Like, what do you think is going to happen now? Hopefully, at least in the US, the pandemic is turning a corner. We are things are getting more normal, so to speak. So, where, how will we work in two to three years from now when hopefully everything is over? I don't know, and I know I'm saying that a lot, but like, I, I can't predict what companies are going to do after they realize the issues with hybrid workplaces. And I don't know how they're going to iterate. And you're even seeing companies like Google being more demanding about people coming back to the office. They were one of the first to say, hey, we can go hybrid here. Or not hybrid, we can, everyone can work from home. Then they were one of the first to say, to say, hey, everybody come back, right, if I'm not mistaken. And so if that's the case, this is a long-running experiment. We've got, we've got like this decade to figure out these changes. And the decade started with a pandemic. So we've definitely got this decade to figure it out. And I think it's going to take this decade for us to figure it out because of so many exciting things that are going on, whether it's products like yours or all the virtual like game-like experiences that people are trying to create for companies or VR and AR and all the opportunities that, that that's going to open up in the next five to 10 years. We were already headed there. But now I think the adoption of all these things to help us do distributed work is through the roof. And we might be in a lull right now because everyone's tired of all the, all the new tools and the pandemic and having tested things. But that, that'll come back. That's temporary. The lull on these kind of things is temporary. What's going to happen is people are going to realize where the real challenges are as they try to go back to kind of their typical old er approach to working. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I fully agree with you also on Google's case, which is like, just like Slack, many of these companies that were seen as, as regarded as very hip were very anti-remote, right? Google is extremely centralized around Mountain View, Sunnyvale, and so on, like the Bay Area. Um, Slack, I think, was mostly, was almost entirely on-site and uh, in, in office. And now suddenly the world has changed. The interesting thing will also be in how far employees have a say in that. You know, will people that refuse to go back to the office then change employers? to fully remote companies or more remote companies. And that means, you know, suddenly there's a pressure on, on companies to ch shift their policies, not because they want to, but because their employees and their the talents do that. Well, and thanks, uh, Hitten, for the great, uh, great call. Thanks for sharing about your unique concepts of hiring engineers. I think that's something for many folks to look into. So check out what he's up to at, I think it's Nira, right? Nira.com. Yeah, N-I-R-A.com. Yep. Awesome. And thanks again. Thank and you. Uh, talk to you soon on the next episode of the Deep Collaboration Podcast.